Ooh. Music's still very loud. Welcome to show some respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking. Pleasure to have you here yet again. Boy, have I got some stuff to tell you guys today. I had a wild gig last night. It made no sense. It was barely stand-up comedy at any stage. My dog is now very confused as to why I'm talking so enthusiastically. There's no one here, he thinks. And that's kind of how... That's that's how I feel deep down as well. There is a very primal part of me whenever I record a podcast that, that just is so confused, so baffled. 30 minutes of continuous talking in any context is strange, let alone in a deserted room with far too much lighting. And the dog's picking up on those vibes right now. Is everything okay? He's transitioning to emotional support dog like it's nothing. All right. This is I took my dog to work the other day. This is this is it's 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 so tr- uh, we were talking about I was talking to my boss, and my dog was there and my boss was just the my dog just the whole time was just like kind of nipping like little yaps of, of just needing attention, throw the ball to me. Pay, no one's talking to me. No one's at, is is anyone my dog would uh in a human form really tend towards the path of stand-up comedy. Because my dog just does not understand any context in which it is not the center of attention. I mean, right now it's knocking over my tripod. This is not ideal. Hey, go away. Go away. Go sit on the couch. Very strange. And my boss goes, oh, these these little, the oodles. Oh, oh I have an oodle, by the way, in case you uh, have no idea who I am or what I stand for. Obviously, I have an oodle. Obviously, the first tick on the list of must-haves for my dog was not hypoallergenic, no shedding. The less my dog has any imposition on my lifestyle whatsoever, the better. God forbid I have to pick up some hair or some slobber. The, both my partner and I will see dogs at the park that just have a little bit of drool hanging off our mouths and we go, that's disgusting. How do people live like this? Have some self-respect. Not this dog, though. This dog is the closest thing you could get to a, a, a walking handbag, really. But what comes with that is the dog demands so much attention. And there's a part of me that's like, I wish you would just fuck off sometimes. And then there's the other part of me that's like, and yet you constantly... It's, it's like, oh, I wish this dog only wanted my attention when I was looking for something to just shovel my attention onto. I get frustrated when my dog doesn't want to sit next to me when I watch TV, but in the middle of the day, it wants to come up and say hello, and I'm like, what are you doing? You little attention seeker, just piss off. I think what I really resent about the attention seeking is uh, I see a bit too much of myself in it. One of my favorite quotes my friend Elliot always brings up to me, there's something about that guy I hate about me. I'm just... My, my my dog is reflecting back some of my less personally desirable qualities, the things that I'm less proud of. Last week I went and saw um, I went and saw the room. For those of you who've seen the disaster artist, you might be familiar with the room. Uh, Tommy Wiseau's masterpiece film, supposedly the worst film ever made, and it is it is truly baffling. It's pretty insane that anyone could put that out into the world and be like, "This will do. This is." Good enough. It's such a strange... For those who are unaware, the, the movie's just weird. The movie just... 
so many tangents, so many plot lines that never get resolved at all. At one stage, one of the one of the characters gets cancer. Another one of the characters gets uh, attacked by a gang member because they owe him money for drugs. Neither of those things get resolved at all. And maybe that's just a very interesting comment on the nature of life itself. Or maybe it's a director who did way too much cocaine and way too little editing. But I went and saw... The other thing that's crazy about the room is the gratuitousness of the sex scenes. Within the first 20 minutes, of the first 20 minutes, literally, take away the credits, half of it, if not more, are sex scenes with actors. There's a reason you've never heard of these actors since because they weren't meant to be celebrity actors. They were meant to be theatre actors. There's a big difference in the appearance of a a Hollywood celebrity and a theatre actor. A Hollywood celebrity you actively want to look at. A Hollywood celebrity you almost can't bear not looking at. A theatre actor, you look because there's nowhere else to look. You look because to look away would be rude and there's only 12 other people in the room and they're going to notice. So you have to just push down any feeling that you might have of, of disgust or, or or just unpleasantness. These people aren't that... Um, to be fair, these people are relatively good-looking. They're definitely... It's a, it's a range. The, the, the co-lead male is, is Aldi James Franco. And I don't know if I'm just saying that because James Franco's in... Maybe James Franco's a bad one. He's, like, he's so close to being really attractive, but he's a little... Uh, the main guy is just... Look up Tommy Wiseau, if you haven't before. W-I-S-E-A-U. The guy is bizarre. He's so strange. He looks like a... He, 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 he looks like... I'm trying to... Wait. It's some kind of dog. I was going to say an Afghan, but then it just that's just confusing. I've got to then qualify. I'm talking about the breed and not the race. And then I get in trouble again because I, I've told you about this, right? When I did that TikTok video where I referred to Arabic people and I just got attacked mercilessly for days on end. It's almost as if the point of attacking me wasn't to change my mind and was more to make me feel like a piece of shit. But, you know, let's not delve into internet culture and commenting just yet. We only have 23 minutes left of this podcast. Not that I'm counting down to anything. Point being, I went and saw, so basically what's happened is, if you haven't seen The Disaster Artist, The Disaster Artist is the movie about the movie. It's kind of like how The Staircase is the movie based on the documentary, except in this case, uh, nothing interesting happens uh, in, in, in the movie. No, no, no one dies, unfortunately. But in the room, in, in, in um, The Disaster Artist, uh, they... Basically, The Disaster Artist is actually it's also based on a book. Oh my goodness. Every it's all it's just a, it's just the snake eating itself <clears throat> in every piece of media imaginable. Okay. Let me start again. The Room, arguably or supposedly the worst film ever made, came out in the 90s made by Tommy Wiseau. Desa- the Disaster Artist was a book written by Greg Sisestero, Sistero, Greg Sistero who was the co-main, who basically wrote the book about the movie and how baffling the whole thing was, how weird Tommy Wiseau is, how there are all these unanswered questions about how he was paying for the thing, where he came from. Tommy Wiseau has this weird Eastern European accent, and yet 
is supposed it claims to be from Louisiana, from New Orleans, which he one hundred percent is not. Um, and no one ever really gets to the bottom as to where he's from, where he's come from, what he did before this movie, how he has all this money. Apparently, he spent like millions of dollars to get billboards on, um, I think Hollywood is it Hollywood Boulevard? Is that actually whatever? <clears throat> there were these big, uh, massive roadside billboards all over LA advertising the room. That's how everyone knows what this what is essentially a pretty shitty art house film. That's how everyone knows what it is, is because they put all this money into it. It had this big mystique to it, and it came out, and everyone was like, "What the sh- what the fuck did I just watch?" <clears throat> because of that, the movie becomes such a big deal for being so bad and yet so well-known. It developed this cult following where all over the world people gather to watch The Room. Every Friday, the first Friday of every month at the Orpheum in Cremorne, they show The Room from start to finish. And it's got all of it. It's just this weird Rocky Horror Picture Show style um, fan interaction element. At certain points of the movie, you meant to throw spoons at the screen, you're meant to yell things out, you 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 chant certain things at different moments. Um, it's it's very bizarre. And I went when I was 23 or thereabouts, maybe a bit younger, maybe like 21, 22. No, it must have been maybe like 23. Anyway, and it was so much fun. I had the best time. We were all... If, when you buy tickets to this Orpheum showing, they have things in the... Um, in the terms and conditions of the ticket of, you know, no outside alcohol, one drink minimum, one drink at a time or two drinks at a time at the bar. People go fucked up just to basically shout things at a movie screen for 90 minutes. And I, when I went at 23, I was like, this was the best. It was so much fun. I took, I went again later. I went on a date there, which was great. And I, then I went last week at 30. And, oh... The youth these days, what a waste of space they are. There were just so many. I mean, first of all, the crowd. It's, it's, it's Comic-Con without the outfits. It's Comic-Con with less conviction. It's, at least at Comic-Con, the nerds there believe in something. There's some value system. This is just nerds who believe in irony. That's at the end of the day. That's all that these people have in common is they all like the idea of watching something bad because it's bad, and the hurtful part is the realization I might be one of them. I don't want to dwell on that for too long, but it is. It's a very very geeky crowd. It's quite dorky. It's it's almost sweet, but behind me, directly behind me, in the seats behind, were six. I'd say. 21-year-old girls and one guy who, I mean, he didn't seem gay, but to be anything else would be baffling. To be the only guy in a group of six girls, unless he's some kind of masochist. Imagine being, imagine being a 21-year-old guy hanging out with five 21-year-old girls. That's... That's this sort of Dan Bilzerian myth of what men want. The idea that Dan Bilzerian is the luckiest guy alive because he's on a private island with 25, 20-year-old Instagram models. It sounds like misery. 
it sounds like The Bachelor, except no cameras are there to capture your suicide. Being stuck on an island with Instagram models and nothing else. Oh, miserable. You, there were always these questions as to whether Dan Bilzerian was having sex with the models. I hope not, because the only way that becomes an enjoyable experience is the tension of will I get to have sex. The moment you do, the, the, the post-orgasm clarity and despair of, oh my God, where am I? Oh my, there's not, there's not, not only is there not a book in this house, no one here knows how to read. Just, I mean, because I'm sure all of those women, as the girls behind me, are lovely individually, but in a group, this goes for both genders. Both genders bring out the worst in themselves. You, A group of 10 guys or a group of 10 girls are so horrendously worse than a group of five guys and five girls. 10 men together, it is only a matter of time until someone's getting their dick out and swelling it like a helicopter. 10 girls together, it is only a matter of time until at least half of them are drawn to consider an eating disorder. They might not follow through with it, but they're going to consider it. I'm getting off track. Behind me, these, these six girls, and I think that culture is moving so quickly now. It is such a short jump to kids these days. You used to, because you, you culture moved so slowly. I think when you were 30, you still somewhat empathized with 20-year-olds. There was still enough common ground there. As a 30-year-old, a 26-year-old lives on a different planet to me, and I don't want to go anywhere near theirs. There's, it's enemy airspace from a 1,000-mile radius to their, to their planet. I don't want to be anywhere close to them, let alone 21. This is the, the thing about aging, is whatever age you are, you think you've hit, you've, you've hit the, the adult milestone, and you never have. When I was 15, I thought 13-year-olds were morons. When I was 18, I thought 15-year-olds were pathetic. When I was 21, I thought 18-year-olds were little bitches, and it just keeps going. Until now, I mean, obviously, 30 is that mark. I'm now as wise as anyone else. Um, it, it, it's, it's all plateaued from here. I'm sure when I'm 50, I'll look back on my 30s and be like, yep, same guy, same thing, same team. These 21-year-old girls, it's the... it's. <laughs> I'm so aware of how much I sound like a, a grumpy old man. But it's even the slang. These girls, because here's the problem. The movie encourages talking. You can't hear the movie the entire time. It also, it starts at 9 p.m. I'm so sleepy. We've just had dinner. I had my chock top before the movie started. Everything in my biology is saying, it's bedtime now. Why are we still out? How are you hearing the voice of someone born in the 21st century. How is that happening? Did someone leave the TV on on a channel you never frequent? Because this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I'm, I'm, I'm already, and I'm a little bit sick. Everyone in our house is sick right now. We're going through tissues at a rate even a teenage boy would be disgusted by. And behind me, 
are these 20-year-old girls who were talking the entire time because that's what the mo- that's what the point is. They're totally within their rights to do it. That's what you're meant to do. But oh my goodness. The use of the term slay. 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 It's 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 like in the Smurf universe how the word Smurf just somehow fits in every sentence and still makes sense. That's how 20-year-old girls see the word slay. It's just a verb to mean literally anything. Happy, sad, angry, excited, slay. It works, apparently. So frustrating. So frustrating. It's amazing how people's existence, their pure existence can make you question the value of yours. Because I could not help but think, man, what's the highest surface I could jump off right now? Would it, would it, would it, would anything, would any, are there any heights in this building that could provide a a, a painless death? Because it's got to be better with what I'm sitting through right now. It was, it was, it was tough. It was real tough. I wrote down a whole bunch of things to talk about in this podcast and the room isn't on here whatsoever. There is nothing Nothing on here. I'm, I'm barely even going to touch the sides of what I plan to talk about, but that's that's fine by me. What is? Oh, I uh, I'm, I've been I have been sober <clears throat> for over a month now. I I had my last drink on the eighth of May, and I haven't touched it since. And and for new listeners of the podcast, you might not know that I haven't been drinking to this point. And to existing pod- users of the podcast, you might not know that I haven't been drinking to this point because I haven't felt the need to bring it up because it's not that hard. I regret every Dry July campaign I ever donated to after seeing how easy this was. Unbelievable. I mean, if you're a teetotaler, more power to you. Fair enough. I'm sure that was very tough. If you're just a regular human being who took July off drinking and expected people to give you something? Hey, why don't you just take that money you were wasting on self-esteem juice and give that to the starving children or whatever the fuck you're fundraising for? It's the same as people who fundraise money by running a marathon. Either exercise or don't. I don't give a shit. How did this become my problem? What? I don't, I don't ask you to donate money for me to go to the gym every morning. Why is yours suddenly a, an ethical, charitable action? I don't understand. If, you, uh, if, you listen, if there was a drinking game in this podcast, uh, the term you don't understand would be finish your drink and everyone would be blind by the rest of it. I say everyone, I mean 40 people. And I would just like to point out, the numbers are growing on this podcast, and I can't believe it. Because here's what's happened with the podcast. It's like a parabola. A parabola for those of you who uh, are not very, you know, smart. I try to think of a word that you guys would get because you don't get parabola. It's where it, it goes down. And it's like a smiley face. It's like a little smiley face. Take the eyes off the smiley face. That's a parabola. There you go. Or a frowny face. It can go both ways, but don't let that confuse you. The listenership of a podcast, If presuming you have friends, which... Based on a lot of the podcasts that I see kicking off, not a given. First episode, that's your height. Your first episode is as high as you're going to get because you are going to get a subset of people who are just kind of intrigued as to what you could possibly be starting a podcast for. 
the first episode, there's a lot of people just being like, what could this possibly be about? This, this especially, especially the situation I'm in, where there's no guests, there's no premise, there's no idea to it. I mean, if you see a podcast is about true crime, you don't have to listen to the first one if you don't give a shit. Because you're like, I've heard true crime before, I know what it's going to be. Hey, did you hear Tom is starting a podcast? Oh, is he having guests on? No. Is he telling stories? No. Is it about anything? No. Well, there's only one way you're going to find out what it is. So what people do is they download the first episode, they listen to between five and ten minutes about it, they take a mental note of one thing that they can mention to you about it to make it seem like they were engaged, and then the next time they see you, they say, hey, I listened to your podcast, that thing that you said about uh, the Australian Open was really, really funny. And I'll go, oh, that was great. That was in January. It's June now. Have you listened again since? And they say, so how's work? And we go on with our lives. But what seems to be happening as the parabola has met its inflection point, those of you who don't know the word parabola, don't even worry about that one. It's hit its inflection point and it's, and it's stemming back up. People are starting to engage. The word is spreading. Now, is it lots of people? Obviously not. But some people, they're telling their friends. People are getting engaged. The people who started listening maybe ages ago are going, actually, you know what? Maybe it's gotten better. And you know what? It probably has. I don't mean to brag, but I have a feeling this episode is going great. I'm feeling good about this one. I haven't really touched on anything important, but I'm keeping the momentum up. Sometimes I think the problem with this podcast is it's so slow. It's either so slow that people just, you just get bored. And I, and I get that. You listen to it as you go to sleep and hey, that's a whole subset of podcasts in itself. Or I'm fast, but I'm incoherent. I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm using the wrong words. I'm not making any sense. It's not going anywhere. I don't think either of those things are happening today. I think this is going well. And as I say that, I've totally forgotten what I was talking about. No drinking. That's what it was. No drinking. 30 days. Over. A month now. And, and, and there is a part of me that thinks, not only will I, I never, I don't need to drink anymore, I don't need anything anymore. More importantly, more to the point, I don't need anyone. Because the biggest thing that's happened since I've stopped drinking is I've stopped socializing with anybody. Because really, what's the point? You know, before, there were lots of things I needed for my self-worth. I needed the approval of my friends, of comedy audiences, my partner, my parents. And since I've stopped drinking, all I think about is stand-up comedy. And now all of my self-worth is contained therein. Every bad gig is no longer just one element of a full and rich life. Now, every bad gig drags me down to the point of depression because what else am I? It's my obsession with stand-up comedy at the moment on the one hand is something I'm quite proud of because I think that's the only way you get really good at anything like this, especially in an art form because there are so many people who are willing to dabble and who are willing to drop in and drop out and, 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 and engage from time to time. But the people who make it are the ones that really, really invest themselves into it. But on the negative side, I am miserable a lot of the time. <laughs> I've, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to write my next batch of material as I've spoken about in past podcasts. I'm trying to write the next thing and there's always that point before you start, before you commence anything new 
before anything has actually been done, before any progress has been made where you're like, well, I reckon I've solved it this time and I think it's going to be really easy from now on. I think I know exactly what I'm doing. And then you sit down to do it and you go, fuck, I don't know. I've lost all faith in myself. I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure what I'm meant to be doing. I don't even really know. I don't really know. Was there a time when I thought I was good at this? This is how I feel at stand-up the last last week or so. I've been trying to write the new material. And there is, to start with, just the total lack of self-awareness to be like, oh, yeah, I can just do a total new 10 minutes and it'd be awesome immediately. Sure, no one else seems to be able to do that in amateur or professional circles. But why couldn't I? And then uh, and, and then the other part of me being like, Tom, you're wearing a suit on stage. That was the problem. Before this, you weren't wearing a suit. How would you ever expect to make it? Now that you're wearing a suit, all of your problems are solved. But here's the thing. They're not. And I've been trying all this new stuff and it's like, I think this is funny. Is this funny? Is this funny? I think it's funny. And then you start building up. No, this is really, this is, no one's ever been this funny. This is the funniest thing any, this is the funniest thing I've ever said, let alone anybody else. And then you do it on stage and you realize not only is it's not funny, it's barely a sentence. And then you step back and go, huh, why did I think this was funny again? What was the point of this? Do I need to start all over again? No, you know what I'll do? I'll buy a different suit. That'll fix it. I think the problem is the blue suit is, is, is misguiding people. They're thinking I work in business. If I can get a red suit or a green suit, they'll realize it's more of a character piece and that is when I'll get them. So I'm, 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 I'm rock bottom in confidence right now. Probably undeservedly for the most part. Most of the sets have gone fine. Here's the big thing. All of my recent sets have had great moments and ended spectacularly poorly. The last few in particular, I'll have to, I'll have to, I will have to play this back because it's, ugh, I have the recording and I have no excuse not to. I'm trying to listen back to my sets. It's so frustrating. But I finished these, I, I, I start off and I obviously you lead with the stuff you're more confident about and I get into a rhythm and I hit some good lines. I'm like, these are pretty good. And they're not like, you know, they're not massive laugh lines, but some of them are. And it's kind of, you're trying to get the rhythm right. You're trying to work out, okay, where, how do you finish on a big bang, on a big laugh and whatever. And then I'm feeling pretty confident and pretty, and this is the other thing, because I'm playing such a high status role. People love the opportunity to tear you back down because I'm on stage and my whole kind of persona is I'm better than you. And at the minute you give people a chance to think, hey, actually, no, you're not, you piece of shit. They grab it with both hands and they run. And um, this happened to me on Monday. Good start to the set. Good first five minutes. Bombed the last five minutes. Just did not go well at all with my racier material and with my one anti-women joke. It's more anti-women sport, which is, I think, far more justifiable because it's based in a element of truth and uh and i finished the set poorly and i go off stage not totally disheartened and then the mc is talking to people in the crowd and he 
floats this idea of something the crowd could do together. He goes, oh, that would be that would be funny. Almost ironically, saying that would be funny. And one of the women in the crowd goes, it'd be funnier than the last guy's set. Cue the biggest laugh that has taken place in the last 20 minutes of the show, which is, uh, I, do you notice how my set was only 10 minutes? I dragged in the person who went on before me just to, br- they can drown with me. It was, oh. And at the time I tried to put on a brave face and, and try to just sort of laugh it off. I was furious. I was so mad that this woman had won. It ate me up. And, so, and, I, and I went to, you better believe I went to bed last night, that night rather, thinking of all the things I could have said back to have won. And to be honest, that should have been a short process because I don't think there is anything. I've lost. I had, I was thrashed. It was never, it was never even a contest. It was a, it was an exhibition at that stage. <clears throat> this is definitely a truth of me in my life. Boy, I can dish it out, but I do not like taking it. It is. It's not fun. I, and I, and I will criticize other people for not being able to take it while knowing how little I can take it. I remember so well schoolyard interactions with people where my intention wasn't just to to get a good joke off or to 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 make to get back in the winning column. It was to hurt their feelings. If they'd said something even slightly close to the bone for me, my thing was like, how can I how can I really cut deep? How can I just make this sound like it's a fun little verbal sparring match, but they also know this was a real fuck you moment. That that sums up a lot of things. I feel like if I listened back to this podcast with an objective perspective, I would cut out the need for therapy. If I could just apply an analytical mindset to all the shit that I'm saying up here, I would have a real, real level of insight into my psyche. But... If you've learned nothing from this podcast, you certainly, if nothing else, you should know this is not a place for self-reflection. I think I've made that point several times. This is just hit record and go and try not to think about what you're doing while you're doing it and just don't even consider the fact it lives on the internet forever now. That's tomorrow's problem. All right, so, okay, I'm going to give a little bit of context. I know I've talked a lot about stand-up in this episode already and a lot about The Room for some reason, but um, should I? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll fly through this because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to... Uh, look, if, if you're out, you're out, you know? If, 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 if you're not into the stand-up stuff and you've heard enough of it, thanks for coming. It's been show some respect. Tom Wick and Mr. Hawking. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Bum, 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 bum. I don't know how my theme song goes. Oh, uh, anyway, if you're not interested, no harm done. See you next week. If you want to hear about the show that happened last night, I think it's pretty funny. So the first thing is it's State of Origin night. I'm a rugby league fan, so I go, I'm on like second last. So I think, all right, show's at a pub. I'll stay on the first floor of the pub where they're showing the state of origin until it's about my time to go up or half time, and then I'll go. So I message my mate, Anthony, who runs the gig, and I say, hey, just so you know, I'm downstairs 
ready whenever you need me, just watching State of Origin. Anthony replies with one of the most confusing insults I could imagine receiving in this scenario. Uh, I don't understand how this could be the take. I say, hey, I'm just here watching Origin Downstairs. Anthony, want me to see if they have any spare tampons behind the bar? Now, it's a classic joke when someone says something and you imply not only are they a woman, but they're having their period. A plus for comedy. That is a, that that is esteemed joke writing. That is in the... That is in the... Oh, here we go. First missed word. What's the word I'm looking for? No, it's not coming. Zeitgeist. There it is. The comedy zeitgeist. Especially if you're a if you're a young man. Have that, you know, you need to be carrying that for protection at all times. It's like a condom. You want one of that in your wallet at any moment, ready to whip out. In this context, though, how is me watching State of Origin, particularly feminine or period related, so confusing? And then I and then I made that point. I said, this is the most confusing insult. And he said, everyone's running short, as in they're not doing their full sets. So come up when you're done watching overpaid sexual and physical abusers running into each other like a glorified high school oval. Now, remember what I said before about not being able to take it? And this wasn't even really aimed at me. This was aimed at the things that I like. But you better believe I wrote and then deleted several sassy, passive-aggressive comebacks to that before realizing that I did not have a leg to stand on. It brought me back to high school. I remember at high school having friends who played soccer who were calling rugby gay. And I was equal parts annoyed and angry that they were disparaging something that I loved. Nothing wrong with being gay, but the way they were saying it, they were implying there was. And frustrated that I had no comeback whatsoever. Because in my mind, there was a disconnect where I was like, but I thought soccer was the gay one. I spent all this time avoiding the European sport for fears of what it meant about my sexuality. And they've just flipped it on its head. And they've talked about the men wearing short shorts, getting too close to each other, finding themselves in doggy style positions with one another. All very true of the game. And I had nowhere to go with my argument. But I sure as hell wasn't going to concede that they might be correct because that is not in the playbook. You double down and you lash out and you hold on to whatever perspective you had at the start of the conversation for as long as you possibly can. No self-reflection, head down, march forward, just like this podcast. Anyway, I go upstairs. <clears throat> it's a weird crowd. It's just it's just a weird vibe. <coughs> People don't seem to be doing very well. John Crookshank goes up. Um, if you don't know about John Crookshank, and I imagine most people here uh, either invest enough in the Sydney comedy scene or are part of it to know, but if you don't, look up the Johns, look up Redfern Electrical on YouTube. That's his TV pilot. So great. So funny. So different. He, he crushes. He does a really great job. It, it's slow up top, but he, he gets it. And I'm like, all right, maybe it's on. <clears throat> My friend Max goes on next. Max, very heavily uh, influenced by the Auntie Donna guys, if you know Auntie Donna. Very out there, very weird, kind of aggressive in a very strange way. 
um, very music heavy and very uh, sound effect heavy. He has like a little, um, he has a little kind of soundboard he takes up on stage with him, and he hits different buttons to bring up sound effects, and and they they kind of interact with his jokes a little bit. It's very interesting. It's it's it it can do really really well with the right audiences. He goes up. His soundboard stops working immediately. So now he has ten minutes to do on stage, and as far as I can tell, zero material. Almost none of his material works without a uh, without this like soundboard setup. It was very very uncomfortable. It did, and Max has this weird thing where Max is very aggressive on. Max is the sweetest guy off stage. He is so aggressive on stage. He's so mean to everybody. And it can be quite confronting because he seems like kind of a weird dude. For him to be that domineering is just quite aggressive. Anyway, I'll, the reason I bring that up will come clear soon. <clears throat> the MC goes back on. I'm kind of vaguely paying attention. He's very much calling out what a weird night it is and the fact the crowd's not quite into it. And I haven't seen most of the show, so I don't know if, how much this is happening, but there are these two girls in the front row who are so noticeable they're just like these 20 i think one was 19 one's 22 and one has this kind of heroin chic thing going on and they're like these really like bony shoulders out and this big peroxide blonde hair the other one got kind of like a couple of facial piercings really like dark hair they're both dressed very um i don't know they're dressed in a way to to gain attention they're both club promoters, as it turns out. I should have started there. They're both club promoters. Picture a club promoter who's a 19-year-old girl and think about whether they are someone for whom you instantly feel a, a sense of empathy or likability. No, me neither. And they are... I would And look, I would never feel the need to bring that up on stage unless they were doing what these girls were doing, which is just constantly talking. Some people have this thing... They just don't understand rhetorical questions in stand-up. They just constantly are engaging. And no one can make no one can get through a joke without them feeling the need to just input something. It was so anyway, I noticed at some stage Rory, the MC, is like kind of attacking these girls, and all of the crowd are on board, which tells you the crowd hate them too. These girls are not victims in this situation. They have brought this upon themselves in some way. They have drawn the ire of a comedian for a justifiable reason. Otherwise, the crowd wouldn't be into it. So, this is the context I am brought on stage into. That Max has just done this weird performance because he's lost his only device, literal device, that he needs to do comedy. Rory, the MC, very, very acerbic kind of attacking members of the crowd and openly talking about how weird everything is. Like, I get why you do it, never ideal. And I come on stage and this is what that sounds like. Oh, that's not the right one. Here we go. Where? Here we go. Now, quickly, I'm going to point out, I haven't listened back to this yet. I, I hate, I've said this, I hate listening back to my recordings, all right? So please know how uncomfortable this is for me. Good evening, everybody. How are you? Well, I just want to give you a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. When Max Derry's uh, audio stopped working, if you listen very carefully, you would have heard every comedian in the room go, 
the fuck is he going to do now? <laughs> and we were still underwhelmed. That's... Just, just so you guys, Max Derry's gonna remember tonight for the rest of his fucking life. It's, it's getting a mention in his suicide note, even though it's written 100%. And he'll see every one of your faces while the last of oxygen leaves his lungs. Uh, that, that might have gotten a little bit too dark there. I might have gotten a little bit too into the details of suicide. My, my mistake, my apologies. <laughs> I know Max really well off stage. Max is such a lovely guy, he's young and enthusiasm, but he's such a cunt on stage, isn't he? But he's such a prick. Like, as well as I know him off stage, on stage watching him do badly, I'm like, fucking good. <laughs> That's totally true. I really. Uh, Max does well and his material works well, and it's funny, but he is such a prick. For such a lovely guy off stage, he's such a prick on stage, and when it's going badly, ah, oh, it does it does bring a smile to my face. But I'll forget about that later. I feel like I should explain. Um, I, All right, I, this, I, this is material I'm stuff. I'm gonna skip forward because I don't need to for you guys to hear that. This girl, like, you look like you're a thread bow. You look like you're about to, about to sell cocaine. <laughs> like thread bow's a code word for something. When I'm talking to you. <laughs> That one took people a moment. There was a guy wearing a beanie and then I, uh, I called him a drug dealer because he did look like a, a bit of a drug dealer. Recently in my 30s and... No, not this part. That's great. For me, I don't have a dream you can achieve. Slout. Actually, if anyone is even considering it, encourage you to pursue a career in the... A lot of you probably don't even relate to nothing just by itself. You do? This guy over here. And this guy? What do you mind? I'm aware of how a job works. <laughs> this is a guy. This is a guy trying to justify working for Afterpay as if it's not evil. By the way, I have this whole bit that I'm doing about marketing being a total waste of time, and as someone who does it, that I feel that I can justify. Like, there's just no, no morals in it whatsoever. It's very hard. I'm trying to write a lot of jokes about how evil advertising is while working in advertising, and. I think it's an interesting space to go, but it also does make me end up questioning my life in a way that doesn't make me feel very comfortable. So I'm talking to this guy. He's telling me about Afterpay. He works as marketing for Afterpay. He's trying to justify it. And this girl says, he, you, you hear her, she says, um, you, uh, this guy gets paid to say this. Here we go. People are able to buy stuff and pay it off. Well, I'm aware of how a job works. She's <laughs> good. She's good. Wearing a turtle neck because she can't go six hours without being choked. She's good. Fair play, you keep fucking swinging, don't you? You'd think you'd learn out of six out of twenty that Roy laid you with, but no. Okay. And you work marketing as well, what do you do? What do you market? You work at Channel 9? Uh, you know what? This, this, is, this, is, um, this might have to... I, I don't know if this is worth keeping in. There was one line that I was very happy with one of these girls. <laughs> All right, no, this is, what I, this is how I will justify it. I'll play the ending of it where I lose, and you'll see. Even you guys, as people who have tuned in spooky to hear me, will feel that it is, very, it is very cathartic to hear me after prattling on like a fucking arrogant prick the entire time to lose. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you missed it. That was it. 
I should say as well, just very quickly, I, I really do believe only Jewish people should make fun. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's me. That's, my, that's the joke that I made about the Holocaust not doing well. I don't know, funny how that works. So it, it, it evens out. Man, I haven't ended the set well in weeks. You're not doing it now either. And I've had dumb bitches hang on me on the last two kids as well, haven't I, Skinner? It's so frustrating. Oh, yeah, I, I made an enemy of you as well, didn't I? I haven't... I haven't made any friends tonight upon reflection. Now, this is when I realise, I look around the room, I've insulted the audience, I've insulted the guy that runs the room, I've insulted Max, who is DJing and performed before me, I've insulted the MC. Uh, no one in the room I have been kind to. And at the start, when I'm doing well, that's fun. And the moment I lose momentum, no one is on my side anymore. And this is how things end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's Max, the DJ, playing the Seinfeld music as I'm bombing the last five minutes of my set. Miserable. Miserable. I know that was in a very professional. I should have listened back and, and actually clipped that up before I just kind of tried to scan through it and find the funny parts. But uh, hey, this podcast has never been about professionalism. <clears throat> All right, well, hopefully that was at least something of an inside look into what my life is like at the moment, which is negative. For the most part, I really thought the suit was going to solve all the problems, but uh, surprisingly enough, nope. It's a uh, man. This is a tough existence, guys. It is. There are times I see people that I work with, and for all I make fun of advertising, they seem to love it, and they get paid handsomely for it, and they don't. I don't imagine many people I work with go home and have trouble sleeping at night wondering if they're not a good enough advertiser, if they're not good enough at advertising to make it. I'm doing that most nights. I'm, 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 I'm taking doubt, doubt like a caffeine additive just to keep me up at night. It's... Uh, am I bombing the last five minutes of my podcast as well? i got to stop bombing at the end of stuff. I have stuff that works. End with the stuff that works. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Oh. My dad's calling me in the middle of the day. That's always frightening, isn't it? That's always a feeling of like, oh, sh have I done something horrible? Has something horrible happened? Is Which hospital do I drive to? Oh, I'm going to have to look. Here's what I'll do. If something horrible has happened to my family, I'll add a little addendum to this podcast. Or, you know what I should really do is just cut this part out. Um, but, uh, but, but you know, where's the mystery there? So, look, if, if someone in my family is dying, and that is terrible news, um, I will... You'll know. This won't be where the podcast ends. There'll be some kind of postscript. Um Otherwise, assume everything's fine. Maybe Dad's just checking in. Maybe Dad's just calling to say he loves me. <laughs> All right. Uh, God, always good to close on a joke. So, thank you so much for listening. Yet again, th this might be the longest podcast yet. Didn't see that happening when I started. I thought I got nothing today. But here we are. I'm going to go have some lunch. I love my Thursdays. Do the podcast, write some jokes, have a lunch. What a dream. 
Oh, the other thing to note, some people will ask me about my stand-up comedy show. It's coming. The full hour from my Sydney Comedy Festival show. I've got the first draft from my video editor. I'm having a look at it this afternoon. I'm dreading that too. Uh, I'm going to keep you guys posted on that one. But otherwise, just have a fantastic day. Enjoy the company of your loved ones. Assume my mum's fine. All right. See ya.